Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Our text for our sermon is from our first lesson, which is Genesis chapter 18, verses 20 through 32, which I will be reading throughout the sermon. Brothers and sisters in Christ, our sermon text takes place right after the text that was our first lesson last week, where God, the pre-incarnate Christ, with two angels, look like men and visit Abraham and Sarah. And God says, in one year, I will come back and you will have a son. And, and Sarah laughs. She can't believe it. They're in their 90s. And, and the pre-incarnate Christ tells her, is anything impossible for God? And it's right after that, we're told the little few verses that were not recorded between last week and this week. In verse 16, when the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Do you ever think about how amazing it is? The pre-incarnate Christ appears to Abraham. The pre-incarnate Christ talks to Abraham, communicates to him a plan he has that Abraham could have lived the rest of his life and be eternally saved without. Brothers and sisters in Christ, do you ever stop to think about how amazing God's grace is? And that it is amazing grace that God communicates with us? That is our sermon theme today. It is amazing grace that God communicates with us. Now, our text today gives us a glimpse into the thinking of God. The thinking as God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit makes plans amongst himself. God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. God created everything. God is so much more smarter than us that the comparison of an ant walking on the sidewalk that we squash... The comparison of its brain to ours fails miserably short of how much more God knows than us because he knows everything. And yet he chooses to communicate with us. Even communicates in ways though that we can understand and then human beings are foolish enough to turn around and condemn God for the way he communicates in terms that we can understand. We're told... And so the Lord said, because the cry for help against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and because the weight of their sin is so exceedingly heavy, I will go down and see the answer to the question. Have they worked entirely in accordance with the cry for help against them that has come to me? And if not, I will know. Now, God knows all things, brothers and sisters in Christ, as he says these words, most than likely out loud to Abraham. But there's an amazing grace here. He's letting Abraham know what he's thinking, but he's giving the people of Sodom and Gomorrah yet another chance. God knows everything, but now he's going to give them a pass-fail test. That's grace that he's willing to give yet another chance. God talks to you and be comforting, be comforted, because many times we'll end up falling away from coming to church, we'll end up falling away from going to Bible study, we'll fall away from being in his word, and yet God's always there to give us another chance and communicate with us. We're told, then the other two men turned from there and walked towards Sodom, yet Abraham was still standing before the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, do you ever get jealous? 
Do you ever get jealous at how the Lord actually talked to Abraham? The Lord actually called Abraham out of idolatry for his dad did have idols that he used when God called him to begin this life of roaming around. God personally with his own lips, the pre-incarnate Christ, who's the spokesman for the Trinity, promised Abraham that his children would inherit the land. Oh, God took on human flesh and he talked to the disciples. He talked to the apostles. He talked to the crowds. Do you ever get jealous of that? But God talks to you. Yes, brothers and sisters in Christ, as God told Thomas, you believe because you've seen, as Thomas gets to touch the nail holes, more blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. You see, God does talk to you. He talks to you through His Word. And you are blessed to live in the time the word was gradually being revealed. All Abraham had was the knowledge before God's call to him. And so Genesis chapter, at this point up, Genesis chapter 1 through 18, you got the whole picture. And you even have a pretty clear picture of what it's going to look like when Christ returns, what the future is going to look like. How blessed you are that God talks to you. He talks to you when you open his word and study it. But he talks to you when he sends somebody to share his word with you, and he talks through you when he gives you the privilege to share his words with others. It's amazing grace that God communicates with us, brothers and sisters in Christ. Grace that God talks to us. And he doesn't talk in all of his intelligence and omniscience to you. He talks as a father talks to his child so that you can understand not belittling you or taking your intelligence as an insult, but talking so that you can understand and even giving you the Holy Spirit so that you can believe through that very word. It's also amazing though, verse 22 there again, then the other two men turned from there and walked towards Sodom. We know those two men are angels as you continue. Yet Abraham was still standing before the Lord. And then we're told in verse 23, then Abraham drew near the Lord and asked, Abraham got to stand with God. The pre-incarnate Christ used to walk with Adam and Eve in the garden before they fell into sin. He literally comes and visits Abraham and talks to him. God would appear to Moses in the burning bush. God would lead the Israelites in that burning cloud. All the pre-incarnate Christ. Wouldn't it make things so much easier if you could just stand in the presence of God and see him? He literally was there in the virgin's womb. He was born. He stood before the disciples and the apostles and he walked with them. You get jealous, brothers and sisters in Christ? Don't be. Because, once again, it's amazing grace that God communicates with us. Not just that he talks to us with words we can understand. But there's grace to be in his presence. Now, certainly, when all things are said and done, you will be in the presence of the Lord with a glorified body. But right now, you are united to Christ. Your new man, your eternal soul, is connected to Christ as a branch is to the vine. So you're not just in his presence, you're connected to it. And let's never forget the words that Jesus said. Wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there with them. In an age in which we can rush off to the internet and listen to the sermon we want to hear that's the time we want to hear. In an age when we can tune into a TV program and watch a service with the types of hymns we want to sing. Let us never forget that when we gather together around the word of God, there's a special blessing. Jesus says, you are standing in my presence then, for I am there. 
Oh, and let us not forget a very special way in which Christ is present with you. Abraham, thinking these men were strangers originally, prepares a feast for them and they ate in his presence. But you literally get to partake of the Lord. Many people don't want to believe Christ's words in the institution. They want to say Christ meant to say this represents my body, this represents my blood. Or they want to say this becomes as if it ceases to be bread and wine. In a way that defies our understanding, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, you spiritually get to put Christ in you while you are united to Christ. It means your vertical relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is strengthened. And because you and I are the body of Christ, He is the head, your horizontal relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ is strengthened. You too are in His presence. You will see that when you're before His throne in heaven. You will see that when He gives you a glorified body. But still, brothers and sisters in Christ, in more ways than one, we have God's grace that He lets us be in His presence. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, comes where the bulk of the text falls into play. Then Abraham drew near to the Lord and asked, Will you sweep away the righteous along with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous inside of the city. Would you even sweep them away? Wouldn't you remove that place's guilt for the sake of those 50 righteous who are within it? You are far above doing such a deed as this matter, which would be to cause the death of the righteous together with the wicked. You are far above that. Won't the one who judges all the earth do what is just? Then the Lord said, If I should find 50 righteous inside the city, then I will certainly remove that place's guilt for the sake of those 50 righteous who are within it. Amazing grace, brothers and sisters in Christ. Abraham owes nothing to these people. In fact, he had rescued them many years earlier Remember where he gathered a small army and attacked the baggage train and won back his nephew and won back those cities that he was able to defeat the army by God's grace? But think about that. He actually gets to sit to the Lord and say, Lord, you're righteous. Is this the right or wrong thing to do? Now, God never does what is unrighteous. God knows everything. God even knew before he said, let there be light, Abraham would say this prayer. It is a privilege that Abraham is able to petition the Lord. And if we're talking about God destroying a city of unrighteous people, we have to remember Abraham in and of himself was unrighteous. He too had been called out of idolatry. But brothers and sisters in Christ, lots of times when Scripture talks about with humans being righteous and unrighteous, it boils down to belief gives us Christ's righteousness, a belief God has to create in us because we're so unrighteous apart from Him, and unbelief is unrighteousness. Now, as a side note, let's talk about why Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding region gets destroyed. It is not because they want to rape, gang rape, two men that they don't know are angels. That's not the reason why God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. That hadn't even happened yet as God talks to Abraham. See, this is what happens with unbelief. And just like the people right before the flood, there were only Noah, his sons, and their wives that were left as righteous. And the world had become so unrighteous, so confirmed in their unbelief, it wasn't their morality that condemned them, it was their unbelief, but you could see it in their morality. Rape, no matter who it is, man, woman, or child, is always wrong. And when you read that account, you see how utterly godless those cities had become. In other words, they were so confirmed in their unbelief that the symptoms of that, the boil that formed, is seen by the test God gives them with the angels. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, this stands as a warning to us. 
Recently, in the wake of some school shootings, Oprah Winfrey, a popular celebrity, came out and said, we got to find something that will replace what church once did. People are beginning to recognize the morality, but they miss the pure reason. If it ain't broke, why fix it? The reason why we're having school shootings, the reason why we're having theater shootings, the reason why we're killing children by the millions in this country, the reason why we have such lying press in every direction, the reason why we politically cannot get along, the reason why things are always falling apart, is unbelief, is original sin. God never promises a country that if you're perfectly righteous in me, as he did the Israelites, as he once did because of the coming Savior, then all will be hunky-dory and fine. But don't kid yourself. Our nation has become a godless nation, the true God. And we pray for it as Abraham prays for Sodom and Gomorrah here. And God allows him to because the blood of the Lamb has been poured upon him. God had given him faith. And this is why we can pray to God and petition for others who are gross unbelievers. Whose unbelief is even spoiling itself in a pus pocket of a boil of their morality. It doesn't just stop there though, does it? Abraham recognizes, okay, 50. He knows his nephew Lot is there and his wife and his daughters. He knows that they've got to be engaged to be married, if not married. And you would think they'd have some friends. And he knows Lot had servants when Lot moved. Then Abraham responded by saying, Please excuse me for taking it upon myself to speak to my master, although I am but dust and ashes. Suppose those fifty righteous were five less. Then would you bring about the destruction of the whole city on account of those five? Then the Lord said, I certainly will not bring about the destruction of the city if I should find forty-five there. I will remove that city's guilt for even five less than 50. God is gracious, brothers and sisters in Christ. Then Abraham spoke to him once again. What if only 40 are found there? Then the Lord said, I will not do it for the sake of those 40. Then Abraham said, please don't be angry, my master, and allow me to speak again. What if only 30 are found there? Then the Lord said, I will certainly not do it if I find 30 there. Then Abraham responded by saying, Please excuse me for taking upon myself to speak to my master. What if only 20 are found there? Then the Lord said, I will not bring about its destruction for the sake of those 20. Then Abraham said, please don't be angry, my master, and allow me to speak just this one last time. What if only 10 are found there? Then the Lord said, I will not bring about its destruction for the sake of those 10. Look at how God in his grace even allows Abraham to wrestle with him in prayer for a benefit that does not benefit Abraham at all. For the life of just ten believers in Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we know in wars and natural catastrophes, God often does wipe out the righteous along with the unrighteous. But here it was a punishment for unrighteousness. And we also know that God spares the righteous. But in natural catastrophes, for the righteous, they get heaven and they're perfectly happy the way it turned out. For the unbeliever, their time of grace is over and it stands as a warning to the whole world, seek the Lord while he may be found. But here what we want to focus on is Abraham's persistence. As Jesus talked in when he taught the Lord's Prayer in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13, he talks about the man who comes and the neighbor who comes and knocks on the door. I have a visitor. It's midnight. Can, can I have three loaves of bread? The guy says, ah! I'm in bed with my kids. The doors aren't, you know, they had a big bolt, big, big timber they put across the door. Go away. Well, I'm up already and you've asked. I'll give it to you. 
Be bold to ask for the Lord, brothers and sisters in Christ. God lets you wrestle with Him in prayer. And I have learned many, many times, I've often prayed for others. I've prayed for the conversion of my friends and for my family. And I've often learned that part of God's answer to the prayer is to give me the opportunity to talk to them. Part of God's answer to the prayer is to put crosses in their life so that they're miserable and are, their heart is prepared to hear there is a God who loves them. So it's amazing grace that God communicates with us. Grace to talk to us, grace to be in His presence, and grace that we can petition Him on behalf of ourselves and for others. And really, we can be persistently, as Abraham does, wrestle with the situation through prayer. Now, you and I know the outcome of the story. Abraham, you know, kind of acting like Sherlock Holmes and deducing, has to thank Lot, Lot's wife, Lot's two daughters, their son-in-laws. He certainly wouldn't engage his daughters to unbelievers. And he had several servants. There has to be at least ten righteous. There were not. There were not ten believers to be found in the whole godless region whose morality expressed how godless they had become. So did God wipe out the whole region? Destroy Lot, the righteous with it? No. See, God in His grace answered more than what Abraham was bold to pray for. God did spare the righteous. Lot and his two daughters were spared. They were allowed to escape to a city that was spared simply so that the believers could be kept safe. And do not kid yourself. The unbelievers who will complain, how can a just God do this or that and allow this earthquake often, do not realize that the reason for their still being alive is for the sake of the very Christians that they're often persecuting. Lot's wife is, is spared as well, but she looks back. She looks back at the unbelief of Sodom and Gomorrah and all the joys that, and pleasures that seem to bring to her life, and she's turned into a pillar of salt. Brothers and sisters in Christ, God answered more than Abraham was bold to pray for. You can be bold to pray because you have been adopted as a son and daughter in Christ. He's no longer an angry judge. He is your heavenly daddy. And so as we were told in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? God is our heavenly Father who knows everything and knows what's best. So let's be honest. Sometimes the answer to our prayer, God says, no. As when I was a child and said, Dad, can I go and stay over at this friend's house? No. Why? Because if you hang out with that kid, you're going to end up in jail. Sometimes what's best for us is no. Sometimes the answer is not yet. Abraham prays, whittling God down to ten, but God's answer for him is, your prayer, here's the answer. I will preserve the three believers that exist in that whole region. God knows what's best and he hears our prayers and he answers them, but... He answers them according to what He knows is truly best for us and for our eternal well-being. It is amazing grace, brothers and sisters in Christ, because of God taking on human flesh and being in our place, removing the barrier of our sin by His death and resurrection. It's amazing grace that God communicates with us. Grace that He talks to us. Grace that we get to be in His presence. Grace that we can petition Him over and over and over again. And grace that God hears our prayers and answers them according to what's best for us. Amen. Now may the God of hope fill you with complete joy and peace as you continue to believe so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.